I'm, I'm, I realize recently that I, I'm learning a lot about myself in uh, 30 years of church leadership. I have um, started to get more and more familiar with some things about myself that have been helpful. And one of the things I realize about what I'm doing every Sunday is that what I really want to do is I want to deliver every Sunday a short and inspiring message. But I'm coming to learn that I, I, I don't know exactly how to do that without extra time to teach. So, um, I'm coming to terms with the fact that what I am aiming for and what I am kind of built to do is to inspire through teaching, but here's where, here's where the challenge is. That requires some more time from you while you're sitting here. Um, if, you're, if you think I'm kind of setting you up for an hour-long message, I'm not. But um, what happens when I have the expectation that you need and have to get short and inspiring I start to feel rushed when there's teaching. You know what I mean? And when I'm rushed, when I feel rushed, you're not rushing me. My dad used to take his keys out when it was time for the preacher to stop. You know what I'm saying? Take the keys out, shake them around a little bit. And that would trigger other people, take their keys out, and my mother would be like, knock it off. What what are you doing? Knock it off. It's time to go. Keys, keys, keys. (laughs) So um, I don't want you to feel bad for me because this is what God has helped kind of set aside and gifted me to do, but I do want to brace you for being a part of our church family. Short and inspiring is, is out of my wheelhouse. Short and inspiring from a little extra time of teaching, I feel like, I feel like that's, that's where my lane is. So you know what I'm asking you to do? Would you be open to just accepting that you've got a speaker on Sunday who is inspiring through teaching, uh, hopefully, prayerfully? And even if it takes a little extra, is that okay? I got clapping. I love that. Didn't expect that. <laughs> so, because the word on the street about preaching and teaching is you can't talk to people for more than 25, 30 minutes anymore because no one has a, an attention span. And then I sit at these movies like Avatar and Lord of the Rings, I'm like, three hours? No one's moved a muscle. Here's what Andy Stanley says. Stanley, Andy Stanley says it isn't the length of the, um, uh, of, the, of the sermon, it's the relevance, it's the significance, it's the meaning of the content that matters to people. It's not how long it is, right? So, um, so I'm kind of committed to do my best to make sure that the content is meaningful to you. But I say all that to say I just felt like I needed to let you know what's happening in my mind and heart relative to talking through, especially when we get to a topic like the Holy Spirit. I've told you this before. There are, there are books. Written, one of the books that, that I, I know and love the most about the Holy Spirit is by Gordon Fee. And that book, I want you to, can you hold your hands up real quick? And just try to make this shape with your hands and look at it. There's a book on what we're talking about this thick, and it's considered systematic overview. You know what I mean? And then a lot of us are used to, are more familiar with like, and I'm taking time, I'm taking more time here. See what I mean? So I'm, I'm, uh, a lot of us have kind of grown accustomed to snacking on the Scripture. And if you are raising kids you may have already told your kids that you cannot get what you need. You cannot be nourished by snacking. 
As much as you want to, some of you adults, you probably had the tough talk in the mirror even recently. Knock it off with the Doritos, right? Nourishment, nourishment, nourishment. The Scripture has nourishment about who God is, who He's made us to be, and what He's done in the world, not just now and in the future, but in all of history. And when you take one topic like the Holy Spirit, it is a textbook like that, and it's just scratching the surface of what we discover in the Scripture. So, so then I get to this topic, and I'm like, sweet Jesus, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And I would feel better if I didn't feel rushed, even though I know our kids cannot be in Kids Central with those youth workers forever, right? Isn't that what we're all aiming for here is to eventually let them off the hook and go get our kids? I hope you know that's a part of the plan here. So I just want to say that. I'm learning that about myself, inspiration through teaching, not my words, but actually expounding on God's Word. And my hope is that that lands and that becomes meaningful. And I'll do my part to, much like Jesus and Paul and whatever, do my part to, in my preparation, be considering what ways can real truths be illustrated in meaningful ways that are relevant in our life, okay? Because truth can't just be known. It's got to be lived and applied. And, but the Holy Spirit primarily is responsible for illuminating the truth. I just, I just know I need to stay out of the way. One of the truths I've discovered about... Um, the church is not only that we have longer attention spans than people would uh, say, I've also learned that the church is suffering a great deal for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons why the church is suffering is because of division, a lack of unity. Um, in, in large part, there is confusion. And when there's confusion around important truths, there is disunity. Confusion erodes unity. And uh, misunderstanding generates disunity. And I've noticed that, uh, and it's troubling really, that along with that comes a lot of powerless Christians. Christians who shouldn't feel powerless to take on their lives and to live the way that God has designed us to live, but we do. And one example of that is consider in your own life how long and difficult the pathway is to real change. And every January, I think we're reminded about how hard it is to change because we start thinking about what we're eating and how we could kind of get fitter and stronger and whatever, and then we're like, man, it is hard to change. And among the church family, my thought is that God has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, including gospel transformation, so our lives can change. But I've noticed it's difficult. A lot of churches, a lot of church people who follow Jesus are struggling with powerlessness and, and belong to irrelevant, apathetic churches. I'm also troubled by the misuses and abuses of church leaders. Troubled by the way and the fluency in which church leaders create divisions and distortions just by the way they misuse and abuse doctrine, why they misuse and abuse people, misuse and abuse their platform that God has given them right in and among the church family. Most of us um, have sensed some of that. Uh, my hope is that we discover that everything we need to live in peace on the inside, to live with joy, everything we need to go and um, share our faith to love and serve people has been provided by the creator of the universe. It's not out there locked up in a book and you've got to discover it. It's not locked up in somebody's Instagram reel if you just find the right account and then you find the God-ordained divine inspiration that He wants to give you. God has provided that to us and it's our job to kind of 
discover that power, live in that power, and then, of course, um, serve people in, in love with action as we represent God well. Uh, you might remember a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, right? It's His presence, but it's also His person. It's not just um, a force. It's also uh, the person, the full person of God. And in creation, this person, personal power of God was hovering over uh, darkness and disorder and then brought life and order to that darkness and to that disorder. And then, uh, along the way, the people of God, not just the people of the earth, but the people of God had all kind, were suffering all kinds of corruption, the sin, corruption, humanity. He was suffering uh, desperately with, with all of the depravity that comes along with being a, a, a separated human heart, separated from the Father. And then God uh, said in the Old Testament, I'm going to correct that. I'm going to correct that. And what did God do? God began to call prophets, and the prophets began to address the problem of humanity, sin, depravity, separation from God, worshiping idols, spiritual adultery. And Joel says, in the end, God in heaven is going to bring life and order, and He's going to do that to human hearts. And how He's going to do that is He's going to pour out His Spirit on all men and women, in Joel chapter 2 and 3, you see this announcement as he, as, he had, as he tells God's people, the Spirit of God that brought life and order to creation is going to, be, uh, is going to arrive and bring life and order to humanity. And it was a prophet. It was, or, uh, God had, by His Spirit, appointed and called a prophet to speak of this coming Holy Spirit. And then... Uh, of course, the Spirit of God comes again, and just like He had in Genesis, and He comes to transform the human heart. The Holy Spirit comes just like He had in Genesis to empower people to truly love God and care for others. And He does that. How does He do that? He does that through Jesus. Through Jesus. Jesus comes first, the Christ. He atones for sin, and He, it, he brings and advances the kingdom of God that came from heaven, and it breaks into earth. But it do, He does so with Holy Spirit power, right? His birth, His baptism, His teaching, His testing, all of that was evidence that the Holy Spirit was alive and, and, and at work in Him and through Him. And then, God's Spirit. The same Spirit that's personally present in all of creation. By the way, I have to ask, any um, creation nuts here who just find so much life. It's okay if you don't, but you just find a unique sense of life and um, I don't know what the word is. You just come alive just being in nature. Right? I know some people are like, nature, but that, that's for other people. But um, I, for one, a crackling fire, a shoreline, a beach shoreline, water, I mean, uh, the sky and stuff, that, that to me, that helps me be al come alive and I say, this is God. He's, this is God at work for sure. Um, so, the same Spirit that's alive in creation, imagine this, the same Spirit that brings life to creation out of the darkness and disorder is later sent through Jesus to His followers. That same power, that same personal presence of God is sent through Jesus to followers like us. And... Um, it is sent to ordinary, flawed people like us. They are transformed. By the way, do you remember the early disciples? If you've, and some of you have been following The Chosen, the, the TV series, 
um, which is so terrific, I think, and, and, and you recognize just by watching that series, or maybe you've been kind of grown up in the church and you've learned through different programs when, when uh, teachers teach the Bible and they point out these disciples. I mean, aren't there times when, when we think of the disciples getting called to follow Jesus and we're like, why him? He is not very gifted. He is not very talented. He's not very special, right? So these flawed, imperfect people are called by Jesus to follow Him, and somehow these flawed, weak men in the New Testament become courageous and powerful. How do they do that? Well, they obviously experienced something, someone with the power to create the universe and His presence, His personal presence comes alive in their lives. And also I'm sure they had some whey protein shakes that probably helped. So the Gospels present these disciples who are ordinary and weak, but they come alive with courage and power. And these people become disciple-makers of Jesus. By the way, how powerful and courageous were they? These same weaklings that were running and hiding, some cases from a, a, a little child who says, hey, you were with Jesus, and then running and hiding, and then they're fearfully gathered in one place trying to figure out what they're going to do after Jesus was crucified. So these people who were running and hiding eventually spent their lives in martyrdom because of um, the courageous way in which they were filled with the Spirit. So, in the opening book of Acts, in the opening um, of the book of Acts, we get to see where that power comes from. And basically, the power that they're given is to help them avoid abandoning the mission. They receive the power from God to help them avoid abandoning the mission. Can I, I'm going to point out some um, segments of the book of Acts that I think is going to help us understand what God intended and what He planned and how He designed us to live, to know and live in this power. Sound good? I hope so. Um, so, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I've got a mission, and in the back of his mind, I wonder if he, he knows, I already know, because I'm fully God, you're going to abandon the mission. I'm here so that this mission, this kingdom, can advance. But I'm not going to be here for long. You're going, to, you're going to witness me getting crucified, and eventually I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to spend eternity there advocating for you whom I love and whom God has given me. But eventually, he says, I am going to leave. This is going to be good for you that I leave, and I'm going to send you someone special to help you live this mission for reals. And, and then Jesus promises a gift. He promises a gift. And it goes like this. This is Acts chapter 1. We're, we're at the very beginning of where we see the Holy Spirit make a profoundly unique and different uh, appearance. Once, when He was eating with them, He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that He promised. Right? Joel, prophet Joel. As I have told you before, John... Baptized with water, Jesus said. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with 
the Holy Spirit. So John, by the way, John the Baptist, right? He baptizes them in water and, and, and for, um, it's a baptism of repentance. And then Jesus says, but in just a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what this shows us is that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to be new. It hadn't already yet been poured out. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to baptize His disciples, right? Baptism, a word that indicates immersion, full immersion. Not a, My mom used to have this phrase. My sister and I have cracked up for years when my mom would say it because it literally took us into adulthood to understand what she was saying, that it was actually words. She would say, little dad will do you. Have you ever heard that before? Have you really? The only people nodding at me are over 70. I'm not guessing your age. It just, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. A little dab will do you. You ever heard of that before? And when we were adults, we were like, oh, did, was mom saying a little dab will do you? That's what she would say. A little dab will do you. We're like, what in the world? Is that like, and it sounded like yabba dabba do. It did, honestly, didn't it? It's like, mom has got to get off the cartoons because that is creepy weird. So this is, Jesus is not saying to his disciples, little dab will do you. You're going to get a little sprinkle. You're going to get a little flashbang grenade, and then boo. What he's saying is, you're going to be baptized. You're going to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. And that's what he means when he says, you're going to be baptized. And all they had to do, what do they have to do? All they had to do is wait. Be together and wait. And this is what's going to happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. You see this? This coming power of the Holy Spirit is going to enable and empower and lock them in to the divine ability to advance the mission of Jesus, to be tellers, to literally express their love in action, to um, get out of the uh, temple where they have a nice office, a nice clergy office, and everybody pays homage to them and rewards them for their important role in the church, and they're going to get their feet dirty, and they're going to live the mission. Not talk about the mission, teach the mission, they're going to live the mission. And to do that, they're going to need something special, and it's the power of God, the creative power, the personal presence of God to do that. So, you will be my witnesses, you're going to tell people, and they're going to do that where? Help me out, where where are they going to do that? Everywhere. And check this out. They actually put it this way. Look at how this is described. Jerusalem, a city. Judea, now we're expanding beyond the city, and all of Samaria. And then, of course, it's going to be even more extensive than that, all the way to the ends of the earth. How is that going to happen? Do you know, get this, do you know that you know who Jesus is because someone a long time ago was full of the power of God divinely full of the Holy Spirit and had the, cur- the courage to be a witness for who Jesus is. And eventually, it made its way through Jerusalem, through G- Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, including north-central New York or wherever you heard the gospel. That's how it happened. Isn't that amazing? Multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. This is, this is God's idea. This is... Um, Jesus describes a primary purpose that's so important for us. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is not for experience. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is that that experience would empower us to be on mission, to live the way that Jesus lived, telling, demonstrating, love in action, serving, 
uh, in so many other ways. So look at uh, Jesus actually points this out, and one of my favorite authors, George O. Wood, he puts it this way. He said, the Spirit primarily, if I could sum up, the Holy Spirit in our personal lives primarily draws us to God and sends us to the world. Draw us to God, send us to the world. Draw us to God, send us to the world. What does he do? How does he do that? He draws us to God and he starts to stir affection for Jesus. And we learn about who Jesus is because the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth about him. It's illuminated. Um, the Holy Spirit is advocating and causes us to see, not just see Jesus, but to savor Jesus. Paul talks about this at some point or other. Uh, we, we know the story of Paul that the scales fell from his eyes and now we could see Jesus. That's a work of the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit sends us with boldness and power. Boldness and power. Um, i got to tell you, many days in my own personal life following Jesus, I don't feel a lot of boldness and power. It's available, though, through the Holy Spirit. Not primarily through good amount of self-care, not through the, the right amount of inspirational books, although some of that can help in some ways, but literally it's an out-of-this-world power that comes and brings divine boldness and power. Here's another way to put it. Check this out. God poured out His Holy Spirit to fill His church with the overflowing power they need to go and show Jesus to the world. It's one way to put it. If you've been through our Roots track, you'll be familiar with this phrase, go and show Jesus to the world. We simply mean by that, we have a mission, and our mission is to participate with God as He's using us to go and show who Jesus is. That isn't left to someone else. It's not left to a preacher on a platform or, or, or evangelists on, on TV and YouTube, and this is the part of uh, life that we all sign up for and are empowered for. Now, the main biblical word for associated with spirit is power. The main biblical word associated with spirit is power. And, of course, it begs the question, why do we need Holy Spirit power? And it is to go and show Jesus to the world, which um, I have noticed that the, the days in which I don't really need the power of the Holy Spirit is because I am not engaged in going and showing the world. What I discover, and this is true for a lot of us, I think, who belong to God, we don't need the power of the Holy Spirit because the lives of apathy and self-focus we're living, we could manage quite self-reliantly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need divine power to do the things that I want to do for myself. It does not take a lot of divine power to take a nap does not take a lot of divine power to build my own kingdom. It takes willpower and discipline and self, you know, uh, taking responsibility for um, work and generating and cultivating um, my own sources of wealth and so on. But to engage in what God has designed me to engage in as somebody who belongs to Jesus and following Jesus is something so ominous and so over-the-top divinely created and designed for me that He hasn't just called me to do that, He's also empowered me to do that with the Holy Spirit. And the reason that I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit in my life is because I'm not doing Holy Spirit stuff. I'm not doing Jesus stuff. I'm not living Jesus type of um, challenges. 
And if we're not participating in Jesus' message, we wouldn't sense a need for that power. Um, how many of you ever, um, how many of you ever done one of those uh, Spartan runs? Anybody ever done one of those Spartan runs? Anybody? Impressive. Nobody <laughs> except for one. <laughs> Impressive. Um, I got another one. How about a um, 5K? Okay. Now I know who we are. Gotcha. 5K. <laughs> so, um, do you remember when the 5K was coming up? You remember how the weeks were like months at one point? And then you were like, holy craps, it's like weeks now. And then it's days. Do you remember what happened in your mind when you realized that you're not ready? What did you do? You had to change some things. You had to get up earlier. You had to actually move around on purpose. Maybe start running a little bit, right? Why? Because when you discovered that the thing you're going to do is going to require something you don't have, you had to do something different to get it. See what I'm saying? So once we discover the mission that God's given us to live like Jesus, to go and show Jesus to the world, we come alive to discover we can't do that if we just keep doing the same things we've been doing. We need, a, we need to do something different. I need a new power to accomplish the new mission, the new challenge. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying there's going to be some special experience that you're going to have. Right at the start of the book of Acts, something supernaturally powerful happens to energize and to empower these ordinary and fearful disciples of Jesus. The promised Holy Spirit fills the room where the disciples were gathered. So here's the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Check this out. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Who was there? Help me out. All the believers. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in a Pentecostal church uh, or pe- Pentecostal family, this would be a familiar story to you, I think. Um, it's quite possible that if you didn't grow up in a Pentecostal background church or family, that this is not familiar with you uh, or to you. The Spirit of God came upon every one of the apostles, disciples, in a magnificent display, and you see the wind and the fire. By the way, that brings us back to the Old Testament. How was God operating with the Holy Spirit, wind and breath and um, fire? So, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, this presence of God is now for all of God's people. Because there was a time that presence of God was for Moses. There was a time when that presence of God um, was for the prophet. And there was a time when that presence of God was for Jesus. But now, it's for each one of them, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means Jews and Gentiles. What does that mean? That means all of Jesus' followers, no matter what occupation. It means the, the men and the women. And when Peter explains this event, when Peter's explaining to the people what happened up here in this gathering, do you know what he said? 
He said, don't forget, Joel prophesied this. This is the actual occurrence. This is the actual expression of what, uh, of what Joel prophesied. And he refers to the passage in the prophet of Joel that we looked at uh, earlier in this series. So, um, we've got flames, tongues of fire, and what's happening? They appeared and they're settling on each one of them. And everyone present is filled. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of what God wanted for His people. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of what God had planned for His people. Life, He's bringing um, power where there was lifelessness and weakness and darkness. And what once, of course, was only available to others was now available to everyone. 